Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, verses 29 through 54. We already actually started this chapter. We're in the middle of it. We're not going to finish it today, but as Sherry noticed... She's going, this is a lot of material that you're looking at here. Uh, And it's true. It is a lot of material. Uh, A lot of this, though, as we get going, you're going to find it's kind of review of what happened last week. Basically, the unnamed servant in this chapter is going to end up recounting what happened in last week's study. All right? So that's how we're going to be able to cover quite a bit of the material that we're going to be looking at here. So going to Genesis chapter 24, verses 29 through 54, I should say by way of review... What ended up happening, if you remember, is the unnamed servant came to the well. He doesn't know where he's at, but he ends up praying, God, I pray I'm basically in the right place and that you'll send me the, the right woman, the one that's appointed, that you've got appointed for my master's son, Isaac. And while, while he's praying, even before he's done praying, here she comes. Here comes Rebecca. And Rebecca comes out where the water pitchers, that time of day when the women come out to the well to draw water. She goes down to the well. Oh, and he made a ridiculous request. He made this request. Not just uh, let her that I ask, you know, if she would share a drink with me be the one, but let her that I ask to share a drink with me. And she waters all my camels, too. And you remember how we showed a picture of the well and how it had stairs going down. A lot of those wells typically would have stairs going down to them. And the pitchers were, you know, maybe two and a half gallons. And so a camel drinks 25 gallons. And we're talking maybe 100 trips down to fill up a pitcher and bring it back up until those camels are satisfied. That's a possibility. So that's a ridiculous request. Who would ask that? You know, who would offer? And here, without him saying anything, she offers, hey, let me get water for your camels too. And she goes and she does that. And then he's like, this is it. She's the one. I wasn't even not praying and God has already provided that person. And then he's so amazed at that that he starts taking out the gifts and starts blessing her with the gifts. He gives her a, remember that nose ring, uh, which is a half shekel in weight in gold, and then ends up giving her two bracelets, which was 10 shekels of weight in gold. And uh, to talk a little bit about the value of those, and, and we didn't talk much about, of that, about the value of those, but just the bracelets alone, the 10 shekels in weight, some uh, legal documents from that time, suggests that the amount of money that a person could expect to earn over a year's worth of time was 10 shekels of silver. And these are 10 shekels of gold, gold being much more precious and valuable than silver. Mm -hmm. So what is he giving her? He's giving her a substantial amount of money. It's a substantial value. Uh, Nowadays, if you look at the cost discrepancy between silver and gold, you're looking at about 63 times difference gold being worth 63 times more than silver by weight Mm -hmm. so if 10 shekels of silver is worth a year's worth of pay then gold if you use today's ratio is 63 years worth of pay that a person could expect to earn back then and 10 shekels was like the high part of the level of how much pay so yeah there was not an insignificant gift 
And then he asks her, who are you? And she discloses that she's exactly from the family, that he came from the other side of the world almost, you know, in that, in that way of thinking back then. That was, you know, 500 miles. It was more than a month's journey to get there. And day, bam, day one, there she is. God's provided. And uh, so she goes running off to her mom and her mom's household to share the good news over there. That was verse 28. Verse 29, now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Do you see on my chart? You recognize this chart back here. We did this chart four weeks ago. We talked about it again last week. Do you see Rebecca on the chart? You see Rebecca, right? Yeah. She's down there at the bottom on the, on the right-hand side. Do you see Laban's name? He's not on there. This was a chart that we made from the text that was given to us using the, all the names that were given to us, but Laban wasn't mentioned. He's a new character now in the story. All right? So we find out now Rebecca's got a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man by the well. Hmm. He ran out to the man by the well. That's hospitality, maybe. Maybe that's what that is, hopefully. Looking further on, verse 30, so it came to pass when he saw, this is when Laban saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man and there he stood by camels at the well. So something has motivated Laban to go out there. We could hope it would be a heart of hospitality, but this verse seems to suggest there might be something additional or something other than that. Perhaps it's the fancy bracelets. Perhaps it's the fancy nose ring. Perhaps he's seeing something there that, you know, glitters and shimmers and you know, dazzles him. And for whatever, maybe I'm not cutting him enough slack. Maybe I should be giving him the benefit of the doubt. And if this was all, we, if this chapter was all we had about Laban, I, I might be, I might be crossing the line to say, you know, maybe that's inappropriate. Uh, however, this isn't the only chapter we have about Laban. We end up meeting Laban again later on in chapters 29, 30, and 31, and we find out more about the character of Laban. And when you get a more complete picture of who Laban is, you find out he's materialistic. He's greedy, he's stingy, he's dishonest, he's a scoundrel, okay? But in this story, he's not yet a scoundrel. All right, he's still a good guy as far as we know, and let's pretend we haven't yet gotten to chapters 29 and 31, because we haven't. Let's pretend we don't know what they say. Uh, but for right now, he looks like, uh, for all intents and purposes, he's running out there to greet this man who's traveled far and to, you know, offer to take care of him. Verse 31, and he said, this is Laban speaking now, and he's speaking to the unnamed servant. Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. When he describes the man at the well, the unnamed servant, Abraham's servant, as blessed of the Lord, I don't know why he calls him blessed. Perhaps he calls him blessed because, hey, God led you to the right place. Or maybe it's, hey, he must be blessed. Look at him. He's driving 10 camels and he's pulling out gold jewelry, you know. So for some reason, he's, he's thrown that out there, that this man is blessed. And it's interesting that he calls him, O blessed of the Lord. That word Lord there, that's yod heh That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah. He's identifying the God of that man as Jehovah. How does he know the name of the God of that man? If you're a member, Abraham, over here, Abraham and Sarah, he also took Lot with him. He took her. They all went and left Nahor, Right? They all went to Canaan, to the land God said, you know what, you need to leave your father's house, you need to come over here to the land I'm going to show you. And God reveals himself to Abraham, but how does Laban know to call him yod heh vav Yahweh? That's kind of strange. If you go back a little bit, here's a, here's a possibility. 
if you look at verse 30, which we just read, so it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me. What did the man speak? If you remember from previous weeks, the unnamed servant spoke to Rebecca only in three places, verse 17, 23, and 27. Verses 17, 23, and 27. In 17, it was basically, give me a drink. Can I have a drink? Will you please give me a drink? All right. And then if you look at 23, what ends up happening over there? That's when he takes the nose ring. That's when he takes the, the bracelets. And that's when he's offering those, put those on her wrist. And then in 27, what ends up happening in 27? He's basically, he's saying a prayer, right? Do you see that prayer in verse 27? Mm-hmm. Chapter 24, verse 27 says this. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham. The Lord God right there is yod heh Yahweh Elohim. Blessed be Yahweh Elohim of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord, yod heh Yahweh, led me to the house of my master's brother. This is what he's praying. This is He's thanking God. He's giving praise to God as he's there with Rebecca, giving her the jewelry, giving her the bracelets, giving her the nose ring. Perhaps she took that information when she ran to tell Mama all about these things. Perhaps she remembered his saying the name of his God. And perhaps Laban is using that information to form his greeting. Verse uh, 32. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels. We don't know who the he is. We don't know if this is Laban unloaded the camels. We don't know if it's the servant unloaded the camels. Or if maybe um, you know they had assistance by servants out here in the house. And provided straw and feed for the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. So here we have confirmation that this unnamed servant with the the ten camels didn't come alone. All right, he's got some attendants as well. He's got some servants as well that came along for the ride. Verse 33, food was set before him to eat. But he said, now this is the servant, right? So the food's being set before the servant. We're trying to be hospitable. We're trying to make him feel comfortable. We're going to wash his feet. We're going to take care of his cars, I mean his camels. And then uh, we're also going to give him food. They bring the food out, but what happens? The servant says, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. Okay, And they said, or he said, this is Laban says to him, speak on or tell us. Go ahead and tell us then. So they're, they're going to end up eating, but that's in verse 54. That's a long ways away. That's 21 verses away. All right. So between here and verse 21, he's telling the story. He's telling what happened. All right. By the way, uh, regarding waiting to eating, I'm going to eat, but I'm not going to eat right away. I'm going to do things in the proper order. Matthew Henry ends up saying, the doing our work and the fulfilling our trusts, either for God or man, should be preferred by us before our food. It was our Savior's meat and drink. And then he makes a reference to John 4, 34. John 4 is the passage where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And we've talked about that. We've seen how that's had connections to this story several times. Here's another connection to that story of the woman at the well. And that ending of the story of the woman at the well is when he's done speaking to that woman and she's amazed and goes, this might be the Messiah. And she runs off into town to tell the town, hey, I think I met a guy. He might be the Messiah. Come and see. And in that interim, when she runs to town, his disciples come back from town after hitting Carl's Jr. or whatever fast food place that they had. And they end up saying, hey, take and eat something. We got some food for you. And he goes, no, I'm not going to eat. And they're like, what? I thought we went into town to get food, and now he's saying he's not hungry, and he says, I got food you don't know about. And they're like, somebody else bring him fast food? And they're like, what are you talking about? And he says, it's to do the will of my father. And look, the fields are wide into harvest. And you can imagine at that time, they look up and see the town coming out to him. Ooh, pretty cool, huh? So doing the will of the father, even beyond and before doing food for yourself type of thing. Genesis 24, 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. 
The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. That word there for the Lord has blessed, that's Barak. He has become great, that's Gadal. Those two words showed up in Genesis chapter 12, where God calls Abraham and says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. And here we're having another confirmation that God is doing what he promised to do. And the flocks, that's uh, sheep and goats. All right, herds, that's the cattle. All right, you don't have a herd of sheep. <laughs> you, have a, you have a herd of cattle. You don't have a flock of cattle. You have a flock of sheep and goats. So that's sheep, goats, and cattle that he's referring to. And that was, those were symbols of wealth. That's what you would use to trade. Yeah, you know, I need a new something or other. All right, uh, give me three sheep for it. All right, cool, thanks. You know, and you worked it out that way. Verse 36, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him, he has given all that he has. Two good bits of information here that I'm sure Laban's pretty interested in hearing. All right. They're probably wondering, hmm, the servant is old. All right. So how old is Abraham and how old is his son Isaac? Because really, he's going to end up asking us, can Rebecca please marry this person we've never met? Who knows? He might be really old. We don't know how old. So when they say, and Sarah had a son in her old age, that gives them a clue. He's actually younger than you would think generationally. All right. It's as if a generation's been skipped. Okay. So that helps them to see, okay, maybe our young, young sister... My young, young daughter is eligible, age-wise, to marry this person, Isaac, who's way over there, and we don't know much about him. Okay, so there's that one bit of information. And the other bit of information, knowing what we know about Laban, or suspecting what we might know about Laban, is what? He's left the entire estate to the one we're talking about? You mean this guy right here? Everything? I mean, we saw the bracelets. We saw the nose ring. We saw the ten camels. You mean everything? That's just the stuff you brought with you? Everything's... Hmm, very interesting. You know, that's kind of what's going on right there. He's probably going through his mind right there. By the way, why is Laban doing the negotiating? Why is Laban doing the speaking? Where's Bethuel? It's thought that Bethuel is probably old and infirm. He's probably still alive, but he's probably trusted much of the negotiations of the estate, the family affairs, to Laban, okay, who's probably the older brother that we have here to Rebecca. So Laban's doing the negotiating as far as what's going to happen to Rebecca. Verse 37 through 39, Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son. They would hear that and they'd go, That's us. Oh, interesting. All right, so Isaac's dad sent you over here to us. Cool, I like that. It makes me feel good. And I said to my master, Perhaps a woman will not follow me. Hmm, that's kind of strange to add that to the story. He's leaving something out, though. Here's the one thing he's leaving out. He's leaving out that whole little discussion that Abraham had with the servant about, well, what if she won't follow me? Should I take your son there? No way. Don't you dare take the son there, right? That probably wouldn't fly very well when he was able to say to them, oh, but he said I could never, ever take the son here to meet you guys. You know, that kind of thing. They'd be like, what? Okay, game over. We're not talking anymore. <laughs> Verse 40, but he said to me, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family, and from my father's house. You will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family, for if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And now fast forward 500 miles later, three, a month's traveling time later to get to verse 42. And this day I came to the well and said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water and I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. 
And she says to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. I like that how it says appointed. Because that suggests to me that the servant recognizes God knows everything. God can do anything. And that even on the other side of the world, for all intents and purposes, God may be doing something, setting the stage for something, and people might have no clue that's going on, right? And they might be key players in it. Because Rebecca, when she walked out of her house carrying that pitcher on her shoulder, I'm sure she didn't expect to meet the guy with 10 camels, all right? She was just going to get two and a half gallons of water. And she goes, maybe wondering, am I ever going to get married? Because, you know, I'm not finding anybody marriageable here. Who knows what she's thinking? You know, she's just going through her normal daily routine. But her life is turned upside down in one meeting that fast. It could be, I mean, if we're reading here that God appoints people, maybe there's this possibility too. If you're single, if you haven't been married and you're looking for somebody, you know, uh, does God have some, maybe God's appointed somebody. And you just haven't met them yet. You just need to go out and get your water tonight, and maybe that's going to take <laughs> care of it, all right? <laughs> all right, so God makes appointments like that. I like that. It's like a marriage made in heaven. In fact, using that phrase, I think I have a quote here from somebody who says something like that. Well, I'll probably run across it somewhere else. Uh, but uh, one of the things that you see here, verse 45, but before I had finished speaking in my heart. So he's not, he's not praying out loud. He's praying silently. He's praying in his heart, all right? So she doesn't have a clue what's going on yet. Uh, but before I had finished speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water. And I said to her, please let me drink. Oh, here it goes. You know, that's <laughs> verse 46. And she made haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder. So this is all the story. He's recounting what just happened. All right. This is the unnamed servant accounting what just happened to Laban, to Bethuel, and probably to mom is there as well. All right. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. We didn't get that bit of information last time. Remember last time when it, when it happened before? It, he brought those things out. He gave them as gifts, but now it's like he's putting them on her. That's kind of strange. I don't, think, I don't like to put an earring on my wife's ear. I can't imagine putting something through her nose, you know? <laughs> But maybe that's just me. All right. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth. That mine says led me in the way of truth. Some of you probably have different versions. Does anybody have something different than that? Led me by the right way. Led me by the right way. There's another one. Anything else? Led Any me else? along the right path. Led me along the right path. Can God lead and guide us? Absolutely. This is a great story to tell that. All right. Yes, God can lead and guide us. Does he lead and guide everybody? He offers to. Does everybody get led and guided by God? Not everybody submitted to God. You notice this guy, he's bathed in prayer everywhere he's going. All right. When we're submitted to God, when we're living our lives submitted to God as not just our Savior, but as our Lord, he's willing to lead and guide us. All right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very famous, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? He will guide your paths or make your paths straight. God can lead us and guide us, but it takes us to do our part to submit to God, to submit to his leading and guiding. It's not go through life on our own and do our own crazy ideas, and then we get to a dead end or something, or we get to the edge of a cliff, and, oh, dear God, now lead me and guide me. Well, you know what? How about you should have asked that before you started coming down the road that was blocked off, you know, that kind of thing. So, yes, absolutely, God can lead us and guide us. By the way, and led me in the way of truth. What does the Holy Spirit said to do in John 16, 13? It says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Another version also says he will lead and guide faithfully. 
who has led me and guided me faithfully. No matter which version you pick, they're all wonderful. God leads us faithfully. God leads us in truth. God leads us in the right way or shows us the right way to go. I mean, those are all good news to us, that God can lead and guide us, and he's not going to lead us and guide us down the wrong path. Verse 49, Now if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. When the unnamed servant here in verse 49 says, tell me and tell me, this is kind of the second bookend to when he says, no, I'm not going to eat yet until I tell you my story. And they say, well, tell us. It's the same word. All right. So the story starts with a tell us and then it ends with a, okay, so now I've told you the story. You tell me, you know, is this going to be a good day for me or not? You know, I've come all this way. I've prayed this prayer. God showed me clearly this is the one, but now it's in your hands. So tell me, is this going to be a good day? Am I going to be able to go back home with success or am I going to be turned away? All right, that kind of thing. So what do they say? Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered. So here we have Bethuel. He's participating. He's joining in. So he's not dead yet. He's still alive. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. It comes from yod heh vav It comes from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Basically, they're acknowledging, yeah, you know what? I can't believe how amazing this is, that God led you here to the right place. He led you to the first person, that everything worked out, that my sister gave your camels 250 gallons of water to drink, you know, whatever case might be. But God had done that. He had arranged everything, and it worked out perfectly. Kenneth Matthew says regarding this verse, he says, Only the dullest of observers would miss the will of God in bringing the ambassador of Abraham to his relative's daughter. This was a match made in heaven, as we sometimes say, and no one could resist it. So here even Laban and Bethuel are recognizing that. Verse 51, what do they say? They say, Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. That take and go, those are the same pair of words that ended up showing up when God called Abraham. Those are the same pair of words when God also called Abraham to go and take his son and sacrifice him on a mountain that he would end up showing him. Those words end up also being what Abraham uses to convey to his servant to go over, you know, to take and to go, uh, going over here to this land to find Rebekah. And it came to pass, we're in verse 52, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Victor P. Hamilton says, Once again, we see God's ability to overcome obstacles and to fulfill his promises. One of the things I do want to point out, though, is as we're reading this story, we look at this and we go, this is kind of like Gideon's fleece. You remember that story where Gideon was like, you know what, I'm going to set this out. And he does this thing with, with the fleece just to hear from God, right? Just to hear direction from God. And we kind of see the servant doing the kind of the same thing. Let it be this woman who does this normal thing, but also this crazy thing. Let that be, you know, the one that you've led. And God, God did that. He supplied them what they were looking for in leading and guiding in that regard. They asked crazy prayers like that. But I want to caution us because there's a different standard now. If you turn to Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it tells us this. It says, God who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. All right, so at various times and in different ways. God, let it be the person who's going to, you know, let my camels drink. That's a different way. All right. God, let, let this be a fleece that we're going to put out there and, you know, the wet and the dry. That's a different way. But it says here in verse 2, this God, who at various times and in different ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. We have something in our hands. Every one of us has your e either right in front of you, in your lap, on your phone, or on your electronic device. God's word. These are the words of the Son. 
The whole thing testifies about him. We have something they didn't have. So when they were seeking God's guidance, they couldn't just open to the Gospel of John. All right, they couldn't just open to the book of Hebrews. All right, they had to pray, God, I pray that you would show me some way and, uh, you know, here's some ideas I got on my head, you know. <laughs> but what do we have? We have the counsel of God right here. And so when we need to hear from God, bam, here you go. <laughs> so we're blessed in a way that they weren't blessed with. All right. All right, verse 53. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. You remember how we talked about, as we were reading through the story, that the unnamed servant kind of is like a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's like Abraham is God the Father in a sense. And Isaac is kind of a foreshadowing of God the Son. And this unnamed servant is kind of like God the Holy Spirit. And what is God the Holy Spirit doing? And this unnamed servant, the the Holy Spirit doing, he's going to look for a bride, right? And you remember we talked about he's looking for a bride for God the Son. And who is the bride in the story? We are. We're the bride of Christ. All right. So what's going on here? He's giving gifts. The Holy Spirit is giving gifts. Once the deal is like, yeah, they're on board, then the gifts are given. And it's as if it fits with what God the Holy Spirit does in our lives. When we are like, yep, I'm submitted. I'm all yours. I'll be part of the body of the bride. All right. And it's as if the Holy Spirit then gives us gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, let's turn to it. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1, and then jumping over to verse 4. Somebody mind reading First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be ignorant. Excellent, thank you. This is, so this is regarding spiritual gifts. And who's he talking to? He's talking to the brethren. He's talking to those who have submitted themselves to God. All right? I do not want you to be ignorant. So apparently they were. So he's, he's addressing the issue that they were. And then what? Jump down to verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's as if the unnamed servant's pulling out the gifts, all right? So here we have the word of wisdom through the spirit to another, the word of knowledge, another gift through the same spirit to another faith, another gift by the same spirit to another gifts of healings by the same spirit to another workings of miracles to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues to another interpretation of tongues. These are the gifts. The spirit's bringing these gifts out. The deal's settled in the sense that, yes, they're going to follow me. They're going to be joined together with the groom. Just as we, at this point in the story, as Paul's talking, we're pledging ourselves, yes, and he's secured us, and we're going to be joined together with the groom. It hasn't happened yet, but in the meantime, here's some gifts. Here's some gifts. What's going on with the gifts? The gifts are being given in the sense of a dowry or a bride price, okay? Both parties of the transaction brought money to the table, all right? So her family is going to be providing a dowry. His family is going to be providing a bride price, and these gifts are in the form of a bride price. They're basically to say, I'm going to follow through with what I've stated, I'm pledging my, I'm all in. And you can tell by what I'm bringing to the table. It's a lot, all right? So I'm all in. I really want to go through with this. And uh, here's some great gifts that I'm giving you. It sounds like a game show. I don't mean to do that. But in a real estate contract, it's called good faith money up front. Oh, there you go. It's just like that. It's like a good faith money up front type of thing. All right, thank you. 3% down. That's what it is. 3%, okay. So here he's bringing gifts and he's presenting them. But if all of these are a picture of something else, if the unnamed servant is a picture of the Holy Spirit, if Isaac is a picture of the Son, if Abraham's a picture of God the Father, and if Rebecca is a picture of us being the bride, what are the gifts? Well, does the unnamed servant give these gifts on his name 
Is he giving them in the name of the unnamed servant? Is he going, here, I'm giving you a bracelet. Here, I'm giving you a nose ring. Here, I'm giving you gold and, and jewelry and silver. No, he's giving them in the name of Abraham. He's giving them in the name of, if you will, if you see the typology, in the name of God the Father. What's the gifts given? Well, when God the Father gives gifts to secure our position, our status, he gives his son, the blood of his son. What more can you give? I mean, there is no greater gift. So God the Father gives the life of his son so that we could be married to him and spend eternity with him. Otherwise, it won't work. We would die in our sins. There's nothing we could do about that. And he gives his son as the bride price for us. Oh, that's a big gift. All right, so let's wrap it up here. We're going to look at verse 54, just the first part of it. And he and the man who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. So finally they get to eat. 21 verses later, they finally get to enjoy the meal. So seven things that we're looking at today, seven quick points or big, uh, big points that we looked at today. Number one, Laban. All right, Laban, we're going to find out eventually that he's kind of a stingy, materialistic guy, as we talked about. He's kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing, all right? He's kind of a scoundrel. But it's clear from this story that it was God's will that the unnamed servant deal with Laban, transact with Laban. That seems weird. I would I would hope that we would be sheltered and, and protected and shielded from having to deal with the scoundrels in the world. But that's not the case. In fact, God's very will required that Laban be a participant in it, that Laban be engaged in the process. So what does that say to us? We might end up dealing with scoundrels. And we might up, in a couple chapters, getting taken advantage of by scoundrels. But it doesn't mean that's not God's will. It worked out that God worked his perfect will through that arrangement, as strange as it might sound. Number two, the spirit does not testify of himself, but testifies of God's goodness, just as the unnamed servant. We don't have a name for him. He gives all glory to God. He's pointing to God the whole time. He's like, thank you to God, thank you to God, thank you to God all the way through. Shouldn't we be doing the same thing? Thank you, God, thank you, God. And the Holy Spirit does that. He does marvelous things and testifies to the marvelous works of God. He points a finger not at himself, but the Holy Spirit points his fingers at God the Father. This idea of appointed, that God knows the beginning from the end. God knows everybody's heart. God knows what arrangement is going to be ideal for his workings out. And we're to be submitted to the Lord. And if we're submitted to the Lord, we could see appointments that we wouldn't otherwise see. Another one, that God leads faithfully in the right way or in the way of truth. And we looked at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and John 16, 13 there. And then the Spirit gives gifts, all right, just as we saw that the unnamed servant is giving gifts here. And then finally, God gave the greatest gift of all. And the bride price, he gave his own son. He gave the blood of his son to secure this marriage, to make sure that this transaction, that he was showing his good faith, bringing it to the table. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that there's richness all through this. And we were looking at this story, and it just looks like, oh, it's a repeat of last week, but it turns out to be so much more than that. God, it testifies yet again and again to your faithfulness. It testifies yet and again and again how you're able to follow through and overcome obstacles and uh, remove mountains. And, Lord, it testifies that you keep your promises. And we thank you, and we pray that you would help us to know that that's your character, and therefore we could live our lives not in fear, but in just wonder what are you going to do today, God? I'm submitted to you. You're my Lord, just as you're my Savior. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys have a wonderful week.